Once the mud clears up, I'll go back and visit them more. Man, you're only a friend of convenience. How how tragic. I am. They're not my horses. If there was mud between you and me, Danielle, would we be friends? I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. That hurts. Wow. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Sam. I'm Danielle. And this is the podcast about sharing your weird media finds with your friends who probably don't know what you're talking about, nor do they want to. Oh, but I want to know, Sam. Well, Danielle, that's good because you're going to find out today. Drum roll. And today I have for you a very <laughs> special movie. I didn't do a drum roll because I'm not a Foley artist, but you're welcome to provide that if you choose. <laughs> I did. You just didn't hear it. <laughs> then what kind of a drum roll is that you can't hear? <laughs> That's better. Thank you, Danielle. I appreciate the support. Anytime. I love that hype man spirit <laughs> as I present with you the 1990 film Tremors. Tremors! The Tremors. movie I put off watching just in case we did it on this podcast. <laughs> I was unaware of that, but I'm glad you did because it's a fun movie, it's a weird movie, and it has Kevin Bacon, so you can update your list of six degrees with this one. Excellent. That's what I live for. Kind of. Actually, I do. A little bit. Yeah. I know, I know. This is the main reason you really wanted to watch this movie. So if you're not aware, Tremors is not only a pretty good movie, it's also the movie that launched a huge franchise. All the other Tremors. There were six. There were six Tremors? Five direct-to-video sequels and one direct-to-video prequel and a sci-fi TV series that lasted 13 episodes, half a season, before being canceled. Why was this so popular? <laughs> that is... A great question, because I'd never heard of any of those until I looked this up. But the last Tremors movie was made in 2020. Is that some kind of record? Like to, like a record of direct-to-video sequels? You did Jason X previously. I think that has this beat. Yeah, but some of those went into theaters, I think. I'm sure. Maybe. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I bet a lot of those went into theaters. I think the winner would probably still be Land Before Time. Oh, that's true. There were a lot of Land Before Times. There were so many Land Before Time direct-to-video sequels. I don't know what the record is for direct-to-video sequels and canceled TV series, but... My favorite fact is there's one actor who has appeared in every single one of those. Really? Yes. One actor, his name is Michael Gross, and uh -huh. he plays Burt Gummer, who you will meet in this movie, and he appeared in every one of those. The TV series, every direct-to-video movie, all of them. He was dedicated to this franchise. <laughs> he must have really liked it. Is he in other stuff, too? Yeah, he seemed to have like a pretty good career. Well, it's impressive. He just really paid it back to the... To the movie that launched him. Uh, I don't know if it launched him or not. I think he was in like a sitcom before that. Doesn't matter. I didn't spend a whole lot of time researching it. I just saw that he was the only actor who appeared in all of them. You know, some of the other ones appeared in maybe one or two or none of them. Maybe he was paying off his vineyard or something. I'm not here to judge. Like, money is money, man. You get that green. Do what you got to do. All right. So, Tremors. Tremors. Anyway, I just had to drop that little fact so you know that you are not only hearing about a movie, but a legend that launched a thousand other things. <laughs> 
recently. Well, first things first, you don't really know much about Tremors, so here is a description for you. It says, Repairman Val McKee and Earl Bassett are tired of their dull lives in the small desert town of perfection, Nevada. But yeah. just as the two try to skip town, they happen upon a series of mysterious deaths and a concerned seismologist studying unnatural readings below the ground. With the help of an eccentric couple, the group fights for survival against giant worm-like monsters hungry for human flesh. Well, that took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did. So, as you may have gathered, this is billed as a comedy horror movie, much in the same vein as Arachnophobia. Mm -hmm. But I find this one to be funnier and less like creepy crawly than Arachnophobia. This one has like, I'd say it's more like a, a thriller action more than horror. Well, it has a giant earthworm, so it can only be so serious. <laughs> We'll get to those things. But first, we have to open the movie. Flash up on the screen the title, Tremors. There's a cowboy guitar riff, and we have a long shot of Kevin Bacon standing on the edge of a cliff, peeing off of it. <laughs> it's very dramatic. <laughs> we cut to Kevin Bacon turning around, zipping up his pants as he walks to his pickup truck where he wakes up his friend Earl, Fred Ward, who is sleeping in the bed of the truck, and he shakes the truck yelling, Stampede! to get his friend up. So it really <laughs> establishes their relationship as friendly antagonistic. Apparently. There are a couple of cows that stand around watching them. Kevin Bacon, <laughs> dressed like a cowboy, doing an accent, going all out. He has an accent? He does like a southern accent, like a cowboy accent in this, I think. That's very exciting. What's it's his normal accent? Accent. Does he have an accent in real life? I honestly, I I haven't watched enough Kevin. Like I've never heard Kevin Bacon in an interview. I've only seen him in movies where he could have been <laughs> doing a. Too. I'm like, have I ever yeah. seen Kevin Bacon in an interview? <laughs> so maybe that's on us, Danielle. But I like to think <laughs> this sorry, is his Kevin natural Bacon. state. <laughs> he feels very very natural as this. Perfect. So you know they banter back and forth. They talk about who's going to make breakfast. You know, they argue about whose turn it is. Kevin Bacon loses a rock, paper, scissors contest. This is a recurring motif in the movie where when he and Earl have to make a decision, they'll play rock, paper, scissors for it. That's valid. Decisions are hard. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and so it cuts to them staking up a barbed wire fence. Earl is complaining about being hired hands. And Kevin Bacon's like, no, we're not hired hands. We're handymen. Very different. Apparently much more dignified. I think they're both fine, but whatever. So are they working on a ranch? They're kind of like, there's a small town. There's a ranch. There's a bunch of like pasture. They're doing some kind of handyman work out there or someone hired them to put up a fence, I guess. It's not really clear. I'm going to be honest. I forgot the entire first half of the thing I just read when I got to giant worm things. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new record for you, Danielle. You forgot about the thing you read. We're not even like two minutes into my description. You've already forgotten what you read They were read in perfection, Nevada. That's all I got. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is where we learn that Kevin Bacon's character name is Valentine. Valentine McKee. So yeah. that's fun. That's good. I like it. Yeah. Valentine McKee. I might remember that one. No guarantees, though. <laughs> So they're driving back to the ranch or town or wherever. They're in their pickup truck and they see another truck parked out in the distance on the scrub. And apparently it's a new grad student replacing the one who went home. And Kevin Bacon says, it's supposed to be a girl. And he gets all real excited. And he drives off straight for the truck, <laughs> off road. And he's like listing, like, hope she's blonde with long hair and good legs and a bunch of other assets. And he's all excited about that. And he pulls up and she's not that. So, oh, Kevin Bacon, she's actually just uh, a brunette with zinc on her nose. So that's supposed to be the signifier that she is not a prim and proper girl, but a rough and tumble scientist. Of course. Yes. She is played by Finn Carter, and she asks if anyone has been blasting or drilling around here because she's seen weird readings on the seismographs. Is it so, giant worms? 
Danielle, how would they know that? How would anyone know that? Giant worms is such a ridiculous conclusion. <laughs> but you know that. So that's why I was asking. I know nothing, Danielle. I am merely a vessel through which this description flows. Okay. <laughs> Kevin Bacon and Earl say they haven't heard anything, but they'll keep an eye out and check around. As she's a grad student up there just for the summer semester, it's unclear. Like, there's no professor or primary investigator PI that seems to be in charge of this research project. So I'm not sure why she's there just by herself as a grad student. But Why? It- what? Are there usual private investigators in charge of grad student things? <laughs> Primary investigator. Okay. The PI is the person whose name is on the grant, like the professor who is in charge of a research project. Right. Private investigator is a whole other thing. In fact, <laughs> like, that'd that be a lot more fun if there were private sense. investigators for all of the research projects I've been on. That'd be great. <laughs> no, that made much more sense Second round through. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. My mistake. I just got so excited or, about this movie, I got my words all mixed up. Or maybe I misheard it. Either way, you got me thinking about private investigators getting grants, and that's really <laughs> yeah, fun. Like, that's why I was confused. The NIH like, is like, wait, 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 back it up. <laughs> I just want to see a private investigator writing like a grant application to the NIH, like, I will investigate the cause of this melanoma. <laughs> <laughs> Using all the tricks I've learned in two decades as a private investigator. <laughs> So there's nobody on site, so she's just randomly there for kicks and giggles. Well, it seems like it's a university research project. It's clearly like this property of university of whatever on all the equipment, but there's no one overseeing the project. She's just there by herself. Oh, yeah, that's how it works. Didn't you know? <laughs> <laughs> I do know, and you it doesn't do. work that way. <laughs> you don't just leave a grad student alone to do a bunch of stuff. That's not, I mean, no offense to grad students, been there, but they're not trustworthy. We are not trustworthy. <laughs> Anyway, despite Kevin Bacon's disappointment as they drive off that she is not his ideal woman. It'll work out. It'll be fine. That Earl suggests that trying to help her with the seismographs is a good way to get to know her. And that Valentine needs to be less specific about his requirements for women he dates and less sort of like, she has to look exactly like this or I won't date her. And it doesn't really paint a very flattering picture of Valentine as a human being. Yeah, poor Kevin Bacon. So they drive into the city, named, of course, Perfection, which is just asking for trouble. And I say city, but I really mean it's like, Four buildings in the middle of a valley, surrounded by nothing. Yeah, it was like normal Alaska and Snowmageddon. Yes, except smaller. There's like 12 people in this town. There were only like 12 people in that town, remember? No, there were 12 (laughs) characters in that town, but there were like big houses and stuff. These are all like shacks (laughs) and farms, like run-down farm sheds and trailers. If you say so. Well, maybe you should watch Tremors and compare it to normal Alaska. I will eventually watch Tremors. I do recommend it. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) So they go into the town and they head to the general store and some of the locals are in there buying bullets. This is the conspiracy prepper guy and his wife who is played by Reba McIntyre, which is fun. I think it's her first film premiere. So good for her for making the cross from country music to film. Very exciting. My mom used to get called Reba a lot when she was younger. She looked like her. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Just to throw it out there. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate that. This has been Danielle's Mom Facts. Tune in next week. (laughs) That's for you, Mom. (laughs) Aw, that's sweet. So they're buying bullets and they're all talking about like conspiracy theories and Val and Earl head to the counter and they get some beers for breakfast, apparently. I have no idea what time it is. It could be hours later. It's unclear. Are these bullets going to come back into play? 
when there's a giant worm. Not the bullets themselves, but the preppers are. They're the helpful couple from the description. Ah, oh, the eccentric couple. Got it. Yeah. So then Earl and Val just leave. This is just sort of a way to introduce the characters in the town who I don't remember much about except for the prepper couple. Everyone else sort of is a blur. There's like the, the store owner and a few other people, but eh, who cares? <laughs> so we cut back to Rhonda. That's the grad student's name. There's ominous music playing as she digs through the dirt to plant a sensor. Things shake and the camera slithers over the ground towards her. Ooh. Creepy. And then we cut away from the slithering camera. We look at the ground. We see this mound of earth, like this ripple moving like a line towards her. But she gets into her truck just before whatever it is presumably bites her legs and she's never the wiser. Oh, good. I'm glad she didn't die in the beginning of the movie. The thing growls in frustration. Bum, bum, bum. Scary, scary. It's not very scary. <laughs> So we cut back to Earl and Valentine. They're burying garbage with a bulldozer because apparently that's what you do. And Valentine laments that this is a low job for them. They need to set their sights higher. And then it cuts to them emptying a septic tank. <laughs> yeah, like, the movie's pretty funny. And this is the kind of work they are stuck doing in this little town. Well, at least they have to work. There's a bratty teen who's sitting on the porch and sort of mocks them a little bit while they're doing this. I don't like him. He's a jerk, but that's fine. He, you grow to love him, kind of, not really. He's still kind of... Of a jerk. He just doesn't realize that his future is cleaning out septic tanks because he lives in a tiny <laughs> yeah. little town. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, mean, I would not be making fun of the guys who clean up your, you know, waste if that might be your future. Show yeah, some respect. It's like a fifty-fifty shot, he's going to make it out of that town. <laughs> Less than that would be probably, bad. Guess. Yeah, it's probably like seventy-thirty. Earl and Valentine argue about whose fault it is that they're still stuck in town. And Earl's like, "I would leave right now if it wasn't for you. I want to help you out." And I was like, "Well, we could leave it together. What's, what's keeping you here?" And then the septic tank springs a leak. Like the pump that's pumping uh. out the effluents, and they're all covered in effluent waste, and the kid just laughs at <laughs> them. That was a nice way to put that. Good job. Thank you. I uh, I thought about a really delicate way to put that that was still <laughs> graphic. <laughs> gross. So it cuts to them packing up their truck because they're going to leave because that was the last filth-filled straw for them. <laughs> that was it. The last that septic tank they're going to clean out in this tiny little town of perfection. Covered in human waste. Time to leave. <laughs> Honestly, kind of agree with them. Did they get into their car covered in it? No, they, they're cleaned up by the next scene. It's okay. one of those magic cuts. <laughs> where they used some shower somewhere. Yeah, they, it just cuts them. They're done packing the truck. So clearly there's some time passed where they left the septic tank cleaning place and you know got back home and packed up all their stuff. I'm glad. I don't think you'd ever get that out of your car. Well, it was the septic truck, so I, I doubt it smells great anyway. That's true. So they start driving off and they're all excited to be out there. One of the locals flags them down. Her name is Nancy, who is surprised and a little skeptical that they're actually going to be leaving. And so also a little blonde girl comes by wearing a Walkman and hopping on a pogo stick. <laughs> She's up to 640 hops, as Earl finds out. That's a lot. Good job. Trying to set a record, girl. I guess. The actress is Ariana Richards, who you may know as Lexi from Jurassic Park. I do know Lexi from Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, so this was an earlier role for her. Yeah, the one who knows <laughs> Unix. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great movie. <laughs> I, I I hate to make a comparison between Tremors and Jurassic Park, but they're both kind of monster movies and they both have Ariana Richards. I gotta give Jurassic Park the win. I'm sorry. But Jurassic Park's amazing. Yeah, I know. It's No offense, Tremors. I'm sure you're great too. Yeah, that's right. But it's a, it's a tough comparison. But Tremors was first, so it has that going for it. So Nancy offers them a month's worth of work to help her build her new kiln. She'll give them free lunches and free beer, but they turn her down anyway and head out on the open road for the city because they are determined to get out of this place. Are they going to do better in the city? I mean, it sounds like they have pretty steady work in this tiny town. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But they stay there anyway, right? Because there's giant worms. <laughs> 
Danielle, the worms are relevant. Wait, 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 wait. You gotta <laughs> well, wait for your worms. that's what it said in the description is that they're on their way out of town, but they don't make it out. <laughs> of course, Danielle. But also, there's a reason. It's not the giant worm. Just wait it out. You'd have no idea. Like, oh, are they leaving? I'm, I'm jumping ahead because worms. <laughs> Just let the movie happen. Okay. Stop trying to get ahead of things. <laughs> I'm going to remind you of this next time you do this to me. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> So as they're driving off, they spot a guy up in a high voltage, high tension power line tower, and they don't know what he's doing up there. And they recognize him as Edgar, one of the old coots from the city. And Earl's like, oh, he's drunk and he's up there. So they pull over. He's like just on the power line. He's just like hanging out. Not the power line, but like the tower, the metal scaffold for the high tension line. He's just hanging up up, up there. I thought maybe they were in like a cherry picker or something, but no, they're like literally on it. Okay. Yeah. And so. Valentine loses the rock, paper, scissors and has to climb up after him. What are you going to do? Just, I guess you could talk him down from there, but it's not like you can pick him up and carry him back down. I have no idea what his plan was. We just want to get up there. And when he gets up there, he sees that Edgar is dead. Uh-oh. That's not He's good. dead up in a power line. So how the worms do that, Danielle? You want to explain <laughs> me that one? <laughs> You're so eager for the worms. Tell me how they killed a man up in a tower. <laughs> how the worms do that, Danielle? I don't know, yeah. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know the powers of the worms. Do they have laser eyes? Can they go really high up? How big are these worms? I don't know. That's right. You don't know. Did he freak out and see them and have a heart attack? No. Are they related to the worms at all? Maybe he just got electrocuted or died of natural causes. So they bring the body down. And they take it back to the doctor, who somehow, even while the body is still in the back of their pickup truck, immediately identifies that he died of thirst, which takes three to four days. <laughs> was, somehow, what? <laughs> without an autopsy, he was looking up to the corpse in the guy's pickup truck. Like, yeah, he died of thirst. So did he stay? Did he? Was he up there for like four days? So they're all surprised. He pr- he looks like he sat there for four days. Why was he up there? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Mysteries. It didn't occur to him to like come back down <laughs> when he got thirsty. <laughs> Danielle, that's the mystery. Was he looking for worms and then just stayed up there way past the time that he should have? I'm not going to answer any of these questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious why a sane person wouldn't be like, man, I'm getting kind of thirsty. I think I'll go get something to drink and eat and come back up. <laughs> Maybe the movie set up a mystery that could be answered later. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'll give the movie credit. Maybe it comes back. So they cut to some random farm where an old guy is hoeing the ground. His sheep freak out. Things start to shake. He sort of ignores it. And then boom, he's gone. Sucked into the ground, screaming. It's dramatic. At that moment, we see Rhonda's seismographs freak out. Worms. Now we're back to Valentine and Earl. They're back on the road after delivering the body and they're driving out and they come across that same farm and they see the sheep pasture is trash and the owner is missing. So they pull over and they go out looking for him because they just can't leave something well enough alone. And they see his hat sitting on the ground, just on a little mound of loose gravel. And they go to pick it up and they see the dead face of the farmer staring up at them, yeah. buried up to the face and they freak out reasonably. And so as they freak out, they run back to the car, they jump back into it, they head back towards the town because I guess uh, (laughs) that's their plan. As they drive back towards the town, they pass a road work crew that's there doing whatever road work, you know, they're doing something with a jackhammer and they tell them, get out of there, there's some psycho decapitating people. There's a serial killer on the loose. (laughs) Why is that the logical conclusion? (laughs) Great question, Danielle. No idea. But Understandably, the road work guys, the two of them are like, uh, they're just yanking our chain. I don't have to listen to this. 
But actually, remarkably, one of them does sort of listen and go gets like a crowbar, like hefting it, while the other guy just keeps jackhammering because that does not seem like a very reasonable thing to just take on faith. No, yeah, somebody like drove past me and was like, there's a serial killer on loose. I'd be like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, but one of them took it pretty seriously and grabs a crowbar. (laughs) Are they coming up this road? How concerned do I need to be? (laughs) Right. So the guy who keeps jackhammering as Earl drives off, he's jackhammering down. Suddenly, his jackhammer hits something. It screams and blood spurts out of the hole he was jackhammering through. The guy lets go of his jackhammer, which remains upright because it's lodged in something. And then the jackhammer shoots off across the road and cutting the line through the asphalt. That's when the air cord for the jackhammer gets wrapped around the guy's leg and he gets dragged across the road, (laughs) screaming, and his friend is freaking out. And he runs after his friend. He doesn't seem to catch up to his friend who disappears underground. And he's like yelling when suddenly a rock slide from all the shaking buries the other road worker. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, so. I have questions. Okay, what are your questions, Anna? Um, if, they, if, they, if the question <laughs> is, did worms do it? I'm not answering that question. That was not the question. Are there like holes all over the place from where these potential worms, maybe something else, probably worms, come up through the the ground? No, there are no holes. Then would do like how does that work? Like if something burrows its way up to the to the ground and like sucks somebody in, wouldn't there be a giant hole? We'll get to that. But really, this is all very loose, sandy soil. Okay. So it doesn't like it maintain. It's not like a, a firm clay or so anything. So it like so collapses it, back onto itself. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Are these like a – do they go into whether or not this is a new phenomenon? Like, wouldn't it be weird if – We'll cover that too. Okay. Because <laughs> you think that they would have noticed a long time ago if they were there. Yeah. Anyway, so they're all gone. Sad, sad day for the road workers. They did nothing wrong. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Poor Bill and Joe. I don't think they have names. <laughs> <laughs> Those were their names, Sam. Well, I'm glad you can remember the characters' <laughs> names who you made up and not the actual characters' names. Valentine. That we've talked about. Something. Yeah. McCree. What about his friend? Ed- no, Edgar was not right, but that's close. <laughs> it's Earl. Earl. Edgar was the other guy. Yeah, he's the one who's dead. Yeah. Died of thirst. See? Mysteriously. <laughs> so they get back to the general store, Val and Earl, and they're all like, there's a murderer. We got to tell somebody. They go out to the phone to make a call, presumably to the police, but the phone is dead because... Duh. Because the worms took out the power lines? Well, because it's a movie, Danielle. The phone's <laughs> always dead. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, but the phone's dead. I like systematically terrorizing this town. <laughs> I have comments on that later because it gets wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is the first step to doing that. I just don't know if they're smart enough. <laughs> don't question these worms, Danielle. Okay, well... That's going to be a short podcast. <laughs> Don't question their motivation or their intelligence because they will prove you wrong. <laughs> Apparently. Good job, Worms. Step one in the serial killer handbook. Yeah, they, they know what they're doing. They're not, they're not amateurs. <laughs> so everyone is freaking out. There's no way to get like a CB radio call out there because the mountains block the signal. They're isolated. Is that true? I don't know, Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> just... In the movie, it's true, Danielle. <laughs> So they're like in the mountains, not close to anything. No, they're in a valley. Oh, okay. They're in a valley surrounded by mountains. And the, is, are they near the town right now or the town far away? Bixby, the nearest town, is like 30, 40 miles away. Okay, so they're like pretty far out. Yeah. Got it. Just yeah. getting it in my head where they are. It's very isolated, very remote. I told you, this is not like normal Alaska. <laughs> no, I was just wondering, like, are they close to that little tiny space with the other little huts and stuff? That is the town. That's the closest town. The no, that, no, that's the whole town. That's the town of perfection or whatever it is. That's where they are right 
right now, though. Yeah. Okay. So Earl and Val were trying to get to Bixby. They didn't get very far. So they came back to the town to make a phone call to Bixby, the nearest city. Got it. But the worms predicted that and took down the Cut phone the lines. lines. Got it. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> okay. I'm there. I'm here. Let's do this. <laughs> so everyone's freaking out. And then Earl and Val agree that you should drive out to Bixby to go get the police because, you know, serial killer on the loose and they have a car and they're planning to go there anyway, so they might as well do it. But on their way out, they run into the aforementioned rock slide. Oh, no, the only road out of the town is blocked. Oh, no. Through the pass in the mountains. So they're trapped. Man, the worms got in on them again. Check that it's off so the list. I know. So they get out to see, like, where are those workmen? What's going on? They see the bloody helmet of one of the workmen lying in the road, and they start to freak out. Obviously, they get back in their car, and Val, like, backs up and slams into the like, the cliff face with his back of his truck, and he gets stuck. And Earl's like, oh, you're hung up on something. And Val's like, no, I'm not. He, like, revs the engine and is, like, trying to, you know, peel out of there. And Earl's like, you're going to break an axle if you do that. And he gets free finally. And I think, oh, break an axle. That's foreshadowing. It's not. <laughs> Never comes back. <laughs> no, never comes back. <laughs> uh, irrelevant. Interesting line choice. <laughs> yeah, like, like, oh, he makes a real big point about how that's like a dangerous thing to do. You're going to break an act. Never comes back. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a cut scene. Probably. Who knows? So they get back to the general store because 90% of this movie is the general store and then just going back back and forth to the general store. You know, they have the budget for like two buildings, Sam. <laughs> well, it's a small town, so I'm assuming there's like one place everyone goes. Yes. Because everyone is always there. And they talk about how they can't call out with the CB radio, et cetera, et cetera, when they notice that there's something wrapped around the rear axle of the truck. Uh-oh. Some bloody severed tentacle. The worms have tentacles? <laughs> <laughs> they go up to it and they peel the thing off. It looks like a giant, like an eel almost, that has latched on and been wrapped around the axle. And that was had them stuck earlier. It wasn't that he was hung up. He was being held there by something malicious. I almost guessed that. And then you give me such a hard time about blaming the worms for everything. <laughs> <laughs> because, Danielle, if you take the shotgun approach where you guess everything is the worms, it's not really a feat if you guess that the thing is the worm when it is. <laughs> but I really thought that was a worm. <laughs> uh-huh. So maybe you should be less like boy who cries worms worm about this and only call it when you think it's actually the worms. Uh, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in town is very grossed out and they make a big deal about how bad it smells. Now I'll come up a lot about how bad these things smells. Doesn't really matter, but they smell bad, so now you'd have to know it. Do they smell bad under the ground too? Does the whole town smell bad? No, they, it smells bad whenever they're near. Okay. Kind of. Whenever they surface. I don't know. They just talk about how bad they stink and it doesn't really make any impact on the plot. <laughs> but right. it's good to know. <laughs> Stinky worms, got it. They peel it off the truck, whatever this eel tentacle thing is, and they sell it to the general store owner for 15 bucks because <laughs> entrepreneurship. Is he going to smoke it and eat it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll get to that. Is it still alive? No, it's dead. It's oh, like ripped in half. You never know. Sometimes things regenerate or whatever. You know how like worms have multiple hearts or something? Yeah, okay, sure. Not this worm. This one's dead. <laughs> okay, I was just checking on our worm anatomy. Sure. So the conspiracy town guy says, those are what's causing all the deaths and there must be more of them because it's too small to be responsible for all this death. I don't know why he's so confident about that. <laughs> he's just like, yes, there are more of them. That's what's doing it. Like, wow, man, you, you really got this nailed down. Well, they committed to the serial killer bit very early on, so why not this? Yeah. So we cut to that night. An older couple is setting up a camp next to their trailer. They're obviously building a house in the background, but they're packing in for the night. And they sit in the tailgate of their car, admiring the stars, all lovey-dovey, when the generator dies and the lights go out. Uh-oh. The guy goes to investigate when he finds the whole generator is gone, sucked into the ground. And he thinks, oh, it must be an old mine cave-in or something. What is this worm doing? 
that's when a jet of sand shoots up from the ground and the generator flies in the air and lands back on the ground. So clearly he's just having fun. <laughs> he's just like picking stuff up and throwing it around. I actually have an explanation for this, but it spoils things, so I won't tell you what it is now. <laughs> okay. Put a pin on it. As the generator lands with a powerful stench and growling noises, and the woman is like, Hey, let's get the heck out of here and go back to town. This is scary. Sensible. The guy is like, nah, it's just a geological thing. (laughs) Natural gas or something. It's totally fine. I know it shot the generator into the air. Yeah, he's wrong. Yeah, you think? (laughs) Unsurprisingly, he's wrong. And so she's trying to convince him to leave and pulling out his arm. And then he's sucked into the ground, screaming as he's slowly dragged under while his wife tries desperately to pull him out. She, like, grabs a board, tries to dig him out. And he's like, get something to help me. All right, die. And he pulled under. It's all very intense. (laughs) Poor guy. And then Eelhead lunges out of the ground after her. And she screams and runs away, gets to the car, gets in just in time as all these Eelheads slam into the windows and, like, you know, clawing out the windows and chewing at them, and she's freaking out, and she's like, "I gotta get out of here." How big are the eel heads? How big? They're like are um, they like normal size eels? No, they're like this. Their their diameter of the the eels is about the diameter of like a thigh. Okay, so they're big, but not like enormous. How good is the like whatever they're using in this CGI? They're definitely, I think, practical effects. It's not CG. It's it's pretty good. It's actually very good. I like it. Excellent. It, it was convincing. I never once thought, "Oh, that's totally fake." I was trying to visualize it. Yeah, no, it's actually very – it does good creature work in this one. Okay. So she's being attacked in her truck. Uh, in, the, in the station wagon. Sorry. The station wagon. <laughs> yeah, and that's important later. She's attacked in the station wagon. The radio kicks on. She's trying to get out of there. Oh, no. She doesn't have the keys. They're somewhere else. Her husband has the keys and he is under the ground. But the radio came on? Yeah, I think she like, kicked it on or something. <laughs> I don't know. But it's just, the car's not on. The radio goes on. The lights go on. I don't know, Danielle. Does that work in a car? Do some cars do that? I have no idea. My understanding was you have to put the key into the on position. Yeah, you have But to you like, can leave the headlights on. Like People leave their headlights on all the time. Sure, but radios don't usually work, right? Don't radios go off like as soon as you take a key out? Maybe it's an old car, Danielle. I don't know. I'm not a car person. Huh. Call Car Talk. Well, they if can anybody tell you. knows, I'm curious. <laughs> All right, if you were if you were a gearhead, tell Danielle about the one station wagon from 19-whatever that can <laughs> keep the radio on with the keys on the car. Just curious. Okay. Anyway, so she's in the car. She doesn't have the keys. She locks all the doors and stays there, terrified, and the eelheads all retreat, and she breathes a sigh of relief. But oh no, the whole car starts shaking and then tilts backwards at the rear of the station wagon starts getting sucked underground. This is intense. And she's freaking out. Yeah, it's intense. This is probably the most intense death in the movie. It's impressive too. That's quite a big thing to suck under the sand. Yeah. So the whole thing is sliding backwards. She's freaking out. The car gets crushed as dirt breaks through the windows and she's gone. So sad couple that didn't have a name. Yeah. Well, one of them was named Jim. That's all I got. Jim and Laura. <laughs> sure. Thank you for supplying all the names the movie didn't. You're welcome. Trying to give their death meaning. We have to remember them. They're lost to the earthworm. I would not give the death meaning, Danielle. The movie clearly didn't give them any meaning. <laughs> so they're gone. We're back at the general store where the Victor, the general store owner, is charging for photos with the eel. So people can pose for photos with the eel thing. And that's how he's making his money back. So, that's you know, great. good for him. <laughs> This is while the prepper conspiracy guy, Bert, is like, we'll arm ourselves. We set perimeters. We stand guard. He is clearly loving this. It's like what he's been prepping for. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is like, we need help. But there's no way to contact anyone. The phones are dead. The mounds are blocking the CB. So prepping seems legit. Bert is like, yes, this is why we chose to live here. Because isolated. <laughs> Cut off. 
He's clearly way too into this, uh, along with his wife, of course, who's equally as excited. So, Do they die? It seems like they probably die. Well, we'll find out, Danielle, <laughs> won't we? Just remember, Danielle, he's in every one of the Oh, movies. yeah, that's right. It's the same guy. <laughs> okay, well, then it says, what, does his wife but die? <laughs> I will say this. He doesn't play the same character in every one of the Tremors movies. <laughs> really? He plays a different yeah. character? <laughs> That's all I will say. So they come up with a plan that they will take some of the horses to the city because all the trucks are trashed. Like the axle for their truck is gone. There's no other cars around there. And so the only way to travel is by horse, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) There's no other cars? No. There's no other trucks that anyone has around the city. Wouldn't they all have one? I mean, they're so isolated. You'd have to own a car or truck or something. You'd think, but their plan is horses, Danielle. (laughs) Okay, sure. That's all I got. And apparently Valentine and Earl are the best horse riders, so they're going to take the horses. And so the next morning they mount up, they take some rifles, and the preppers give them one of their big rifles because, you know, hey, you can't kill anything that little pea shooter. That's probably true. A twenty two is not going to take down a giant earthworm. Well, they had a Winchester, and they also had like a, a, a revolver or okay. something. So I think he replaces the revolver with the big rifle. Makes sense. So they get on the horses, and they take the rifles, and they mount up. The preppers say they're going to drive around to find Rhonda and tell her to get home safe, because apparently she's not staying in the town. I don't know where she's camping, but whatever. Not important. And Earl and Valentine say they'll stop by the doctor's office to see if they're okay on their way out, because apparently that was a couple that was just killed, and we have to make sure they are brought back somehow into the plot. Who was just killed? The doctor? The doctor and his wife. Aww. It's always the first to go. That's when the brat kid Melvin runs out with the dead yell wrapped around his neck screaming. Everyone briefly freaks out and almost shoots him. <laughs> and then they yell him a bit, which is cathartic. So he just stole it from the... Yes, okay. the general store. I mean, give it back, but <laughs> pull off that prank. Melvin does this frequently and I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Kids today. Kids in well, 1990. <laughs> yeah, kids in 1990, perfection Nevada or whatever. They don't have anything better to do, I mean, to be fair. That's true. It's got to be real boring to be the only teenager in the town. Probably the most exciting thing to ever happen. So, Earl and Valentine ride off, and they come up to the camper where the doctor and his wife were. No one is home. Earl says, hey, the car's gone, so he must have just missed them as they head into town to get the cinder blocks for their house. But Valentine hears a radio, and they follow the sound and uncover the car buried vertically in the ground. They see the headlights and the radio going, and then they freak out and get the heck out of there, riding as fast as possible to get to the city. And as they're riding, the horses freak out and buck off Valentine and Earl. And that's when one of the horses is grabbed by the eels. Valentine realizes that whatever it is it's under the ground and he shoots one of them did the horse get sucked in uh it got wrapped up by one of the eels and dragged to the ground it didn't get sucked in yet because uh, valentine then shoots one of the eel things off the horse does the horse make it out alive i don't know maybe it's not <laughs> clear probably not <laughs> that's when the ground they're standing on so mounds sad. up and giant creature heaves itself out of the ground at them it turns out those little eels come out of the big thing's mouth yeah like tentacles <laughs> with mouths on them or like a xenomorph or it's like a little mini version of the thing coming out of the thing. So it's like this giant thing worm thing. thing that's mouth opens up, like spreads apart in like three or four like flaps and all these little tentacle eels come spewing out of it. Creepy. Yeah, it's great creature design. It's very good. Valentine and Earl obviously run. <laughs> <laughs> the best solution really. Well, they have no other options. So the thing dives back under the ground and starts chasing them. You can see like the line of dirt moving and mounting up as it slithers after them. Does it do some kind of like echolocation? Does it hear? Oh, we'll get to that, Danielle. Okay. <laughs> I have questions. You do. And if you ever read the book Dune, you probably have the answer already, but we'll get to this. I have read the book Dune. And you didn't remember it, I bet. I remember a bulk of it, but I don't remember <laughs> the... the de- I was... Okay. I was like... 
14, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on. So luckily, as they're running through this expanse, they come to this, I don't know, concrete drainage trench. It looks like the Los Angeles River, but like three inches across instead of whatever probably the Los Angeles River is. And they dive into this concrete trench. And the thing comes race after them and rams to the trench, killing itself. <laughs> well, that was easy. <laughs> yeah. So they see like the whole, the, like the, the concrete like mounds out and like a dead tentacle flops through a crack in the concrete. Valentine and Earl celebrate when Rhonda shows up saying, hey, did you notice anything weird? There was this <laughs> seismic activity. And then she notices the bleeding wall. So, you know, that comes up. <laughs> oh, Rhonda. <laughs> so it cuts to her and Earl digging the eel out and it like smells super gross and super stinky and it's like, oozing all kinds of blood and fluids and stuff. And so Rhonda, the seismology student, concludes that it must be totally subterranean so it has no eyes she can see. She also concludes it's a huge zoological discovery. Well, yes, but how does she know the previous one? Because she's just a seismologist, right? That's my point. She comes to some immediate conclusions about these things, and, and there are more to come without having any experience as, I'm guessing, a zoologist or really even an experienced zoologist to be like, I got to study this thing more before I come to any firm conclusions. That just seems wildly irresponsible. Nope. Just like basic level science. You're like, yep, this is what I think is it. Well, this is the that movies do all the time where it's like, oh, he's a scientist. He must know everything about all science. That's how it works, Sam. Didn't you know? God, gosh. <laughs> I wish. Scientists don't even know about their own science as much as people think they do. <laughs> It's reassuring. Thanks. No, it doesn't mean that people get very niche into their field. So they only know like their very specific area of their field, not like, oh, all the field. Like, you know, if you're a zoologist, you only know about like whatever specific creatures you study. You don't know about all creatures everywhere. That's true. So even if she were a zoologist, I would doubt she'd be able to make any strong conclusions from a 30 second glance over a dead creature. Shenanigans. <laughs> Shenanigans. So Valentine is sticking out the rest of the creature where, you know, it's lying sort of just underneath the surface of the ground. And it's big. And then Rhonda and Earl go up to see Valentine as he digs out the rest of it. And Rhonda further observes that there are spines on the creature's back. And this must be how it pushes itself along. All those spines gripping the dirt and moving together to push it. You mean spines like the ones that like stick out? Yeah, little horns sticking out of like the body. Okay. And she's like, oh, that top must move so fast. I don't know how she knows it moves so fast. She's only seen a dead one. (laughs) But... And also, she's a seismologist, but she comes to some really rapid conclusions about how this thing moves. This movie and, and did not it... think this part through. <laughs> no, it didn't. And so while Earl and Valentine argue about like, oh, this is a great discovery. We're going to make so much money off of this thing. Rhonda has an idea and she pulls some of her seismographs out of her bag and concludes that there must be three more of them because of simultaneous readings. Like she's like, by the time this thing was happening, I saw a reading at 3 a.m. and a reading here at 3 a.m. So they must be two different creatures. So she concludes there are four of them. And she's very confident there are four of them total. (laughs) But there could be more. There could be more. There there could be other – it could be random seismic events. They don't all have to be worms, but she is super confident in that number, and that will come into play a lot later. And boy, do they put a lot of eggs in that basket. (laughs) (laughs) I don't – I don't know. Look, just trust us that Rhonda is apparently not only a really excellent seismologist, but also just clairvoyant. Apparently. Okay, I'm willing to go with this, but I have objections. (laughs) No, I I object to her knowing any of this. It's complete nonsense. (laughs) It is ridiculously irresponsible to put that much faith in her conclusion that there are only four of them, and that maybe some of them weren't moving around that day or something. (laughs) I guess you don't have a whole lot of choices. You're stuck. Yep. So, because of that, there are more of them. They all decide it's time to get the heck out of there and get back to town and warn everybody. And they move to go find Rhonda's truck. What she notices is one of her seismographs freaking out. Uh-oh. 
And so the worm is clearly heading for them, another one of the worms. And so they all run for a cluster of rocks and they get up on the rocks just in time for the little tentacles to lash out and miss them. Oof. That was close. I know. Very close, but they made it. It was touch and go there for a while. So now they have like the seismology thing that's telling them every time one is coming near them. Well, they have the seismograph, but it was eaten. <laughs> like it was just there to signal that the worm was coming. It's not like they carry around a portable seismograph with them. That's a shame. I'm not even sure how that would work because you feel like you can't run around with one because you'd shake it too much. Are they going to start searching for the worms at some point, like purposefully going out of their way to go find them to kill them? Wouldn't that be fun? We'll have to find out. It's like Twister with worms. <laughs> Wormster. All right. <laughs> That was a Danielle thing. Yeah, it was. So anyway, they're on the rocks and they're besieged by the thing. And sometime later, they're all sitting on the rock and Rhonda is somehow sure there's nothing like them in the fossil record. She's like, there's never anything like this in the fossil record. Again, seismologists. How did she know that? (laughs) Yeah, because she must have really like looked through the entire fossil record. So she concludes they must predate the fossil record. (laughs) Millions of years old. Earl says, eh, they're probably aliens. And honestly, both of those hypotheses are equally valid at this point. <laughs> That's just bananas. She doesn't even Google, really, in 1990. <laughs> no, nothing. She's like, oh, it predates the fossil record. It must be, because there's nothing like it ever in the... All right, so she's clearly just making wild guesses. It's not a great sign, because I, like I don't think she's ever I like the idea that she's degree. literally just coming up with stuff. <laughs> they're all like, yes, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> I want to impress these yokels by making myself sound real smart. That's a better plot. Uh, <laughs> so they're like, can we leave? Is it safe to go down there? And they do a rock, paper, scissors, and Valentine has to slide down to see if the thing's still gone. He does that by taking like a wooden plank that's lying next to the rock because this is one of her sites for the seismographs. And apparently there are just wooden planks lying around. Mm-hmm. And he taps the ground and the thing has a tentacle that shoots out and grabs it. <laughs> This thing is amazing. So they're still there. It's waiting for them. And that's when Rhonda concludes that they must be listening to them because it doesn't have any eyes. So it must sense vibrations. And that's how it tracks them. Sure. I mean, that seems that seems the most like legitimate thing she said so far. Yeah, no, that's obvious. Like it senses the vibrations. It can hear them up on the rock. It's a rock will transmit the vibration to the ground. So it knows they're still there. And then Earl's response to that. That means we're stuck. That pisses me off. <laughs> and I just thought it was really funny. It just... Okay, cool, Earl. Thanks for thanks for the update. <laughs> what about the people that aren't moving? Like the couple that was just sitting on the bed of their truck. Well, then they were moving around to get to the bed of the truck. I, but I think it was the generator was vibrating. Sure, they got the generator. It was running, and that's it. Ate the generator, and then when they went to investigate, it ate them. Sure. There you go, Danielle. See, perfect sense. Flawless movie. <laughs> airtight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so night falls, and they all talk about how they all have to pee. So they all pee off the rock. <laughs> I don't know why that scene was in there. And it crossfades the next morning where Rhonda is snuggled up inside a Valentine's jacket. And she wakes up and is very appreciative and gives him the old bedroom eyes about thank you for the jacket. Aw, I told you it would all work out for them. And Valentine's like, oh, no problem. And Earl gives him like a knowing little wink. <laughs> Love in the time of worms. Earl and Valentine then start arguing about how they're going to solve the problem of getting to the truck, which is way over there, when they're stuck on the rock over here, besieged by the thing. And this is when they all conclude that this is how Edgar died up that high voltage tower. Because he could come down. Yeah, because the worm would just wait there for him. So he'd either for stay up there and days. die. <laughs> four days. It, it besieged him. And this is another question I have later about these worms, but they are dedicated. <laughs> Like, they could, the worm wasn't like, you know what, maybe I'd have better luck with a chipmunk on the other side of town. <laughs> no, he's like, I know there's something up there, and when I get my sights set on something, I don't let it go. I am obsessive. That bears the question. Are there, is there, like, are there still wild animals in this area if the worms are eating everything that moves? I mean, there are prairie dogs. We don't see any, like, sheep or cattle or anything like that. Are they all getting suspiciously eaten? <laughs> no, there's not mention at all. 
apparently the worms just really love human flesh. They're just flesh. only humans in this tiny little town. They decided to like go into a town of 12 people. Well, they're stuck in this valley because of the mountains, so they have to eat what's there. You can't travel under the mountains or through the mountains. We'll get to that, Danielle, but no, they're mountains. <laughs> they're, they're not made of loose packed gravel. But you eventually will get out of a valley. Like You just got to keep traveling. Would you? What if it's like, like the valley you're in, Danielle, has mountains all around it? Sure. But you'll eventually... And you have to go over a pass to get out of it. You can't, you can't just like walk out of the valley because there's like to... two mountain ranges that intersect okay, around this place. Okay, but I have place. questions about like, does it, can it eat through sand or rock or whatever? Can it travel above the ground? <laughs> it, no, it has to travel through the ground because it has a little... Because of its spikes? Things. Yeah. Okay, whatever. <laughs> It doesn't like, you can't like skate across the top of the ground, Danielle. No, I doubt it could climb a mountain either. I just wonder if it, maybe it could burrow through it. I don't know, Sam. I don't know the powers of the worm. I'm telling and you, And how did it get stuck in the valley in the first place? Danielle, 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 <laughs> all your questions will probably not be answered. But if you have patience, <laughs> maybe one or two of them will. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Okay. It's very frustrating Lots experience. of questions about these worms. <laughs> Danielle. You gotta just roll with the worms. There are worms in the valley. They can't get out of it. Everyone's trapped in the valley. It's a bottle episode. Okay. You gotta go with it. <laughs> okay. Go on. So Earl and Valentine are still arguing about how they can get out of this place. And Rhonda's like, hey, I have a plan. They're not listening to her because men. <laughs> and they keep arguing that she goes off and grabs a wooden pole that just happens to be conveniently leaning against this rock. Like and she pole vaults <laughs> to this rock to the next rock. She's like, we can just pole vault from rock to rock to get back to my truck. Super easy. Which is super convenient. There are three such poles just happen to be there on the rock. The so, right kind of wood that's not going to snap when you do that. I mean, they're not like doing it very hard. They're just very gently, you know, using it to leverage themselves from one rock to another. But the fact that they're the right length and that there are three of them on that particular rock is just super convenient. <laughs> very. It's not even near her truck. What was where she using her them stuff for originally? Up. I don't even know if she was using them. They're just there. They might have just been there from millennia ago. <laughs> from who knows? the other people who pole vaulted from rock to rock to avoid the worms. This movie is nothing if not full of conveniences. <laughs> So they all agree and they start pole vaulting from rock to rock. And it's really hilarious. There's this big wide shot of the body like flying through the air from rock to rock. And I'm like, all right, I like this movie. It's great. And they land on the rock right next to the truck and they get ready. Like we all have to get in the truck at the same time. We don't know how much time the thing's going to give us. But the time we land on the truck before it attacks, I'm like, why did it attack you while you were pole vaulting? Yeah, I <laughs> like guess you it would grab the pole vault. It would probably feel the vibrations of the pole on the ground. Yeah. So why did it grab the pole? I don't know. Because yeah, there wouldn't question, be a Danielle. movie. <laughs> yeah, the, that's the real answer to all your questions, Daniel, because there wouldn't be a movie. <sighs> so they all pull onto the truck, into the bed of the truck, and Rhonda climbs in through the back window and turns on the truck and is like about to slam onto the gas with her hands like she's like head down in the truck. <laughs> and the things attack them and Earl and Valentine beat them off and, and push them away and they drive off, they peel out of there. What do they beat them off with? They have like whatever equipment she has in the back of her truck, like the seismology equipment. Okay, sure. They just smack them around and they like let go and they get out of there. Oof, how lucky are they? Very. So the worm doesn't like chase their car? Nope, they peel out of there. Apparently the car is too fast for them. Like they almost outran it earlier. So I'm assuming these worms cannot like go 60 miles an hour okay. under the ground. Well, that's good, I guess. I, I, they're fast, but they're probably, like, they're about as fast as a human running, but not any faster, I would say. All right. So, 
They drive back to the general store because, obviously, where where they drop the bomb (laughs) on what these things are, and they learn that the prepper guys who went out looking for Rhonda are still missing. Uh Uh-oh. I know. How sad. So everyone pesters Rhonda, like, what are these things? Where did they come from? She's like, how would I know? I'm like, well, you knew so far. (laughs) She had so many thoughts earlier. I know. She has no answer. Like, I don't know anything about this. Like, well, you just told me they sense vibrations. They don't exist in the fossil record. They're completely subterranean. Now, suddenly, you're not the expert. So, nice try, movie. And they argue about if anyone's going to come check on them or if they're going to have to make a break for it. Why would anybody come check on them? I'm assuming they have communication. Like, the people come to and from the town to the city. They know people out of the town. They're just going to come check on them. It'd just be like they'd eventually show up unless somebody was supposed to meet in the city at some point. And that's one of the arguments that are made. They're like, oh, we should get out of here because no one can check on us in time. They're like, well, we have, we have plenty of time. We have lots of food here. We can wait it out, etc., etc. So there's only the one way out of the valley, right? Yep. Well, yes. The only There's only one city nearby, and then that road to that city is blocked. And what about the, the other Canadian. way? Where does that go? Um, Into the mountains. Okay. There's no, like, eventual city of that direction? I'm sure there is, but I'm sure it's also... uh, They're talking about how they won't have enough time to get there because you only have the one truck and not everybody can fit in the one truck. I don't understand. I still don't understand why they don't have enough cars in their city, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have enough cars in their city, Danielle. They don't. They don't. They don't. (laughs) They're not planned well. They didn't think ahead. They didn't plan for it. Couldn't they send one person the opposite direction (laughs) through the mountains? I don't think, like... I think it's, like, hundreds of miles through the mountains. Okay, I guess. All right. This is like Nevada in the middle of nowhere. There's one town 40 miles nearby. (laughs) So their question is send one person who we don't know if they're going to get anywhere and we're just waiting for them and they might be dead in a mountain. We're not going to hear about it or we're stuck to death here. With the one car they have. So, like, it's that's what they're arguing about. Okay. And they're thinking, well, there's someone's going to come check on the road crew that was killed because the cave-in. They're going to notice something's wrong when they don't check in. Like, they're thinking there's, there's people who are doing work in the valley. So, there's obviously someone who's going to come check on them. Okay. So. I'm willing to go with that. Sure. Why not? Well, yeah. I think if you're if your work crew, if your boss is like, hey, that work crew I sent out there three days ago hasn't shown up back at my office. That's going to be noticed. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're probably dead. It's fine. We'll ignore them. So they're, they're not complete idiots, Danielle, despite your reservations. I was just I was just trying to figure out the logistics of the valley so that I could better understand the plot and decisions of these characters, Sam. The plot and decisions of these characters serve only one purpose, Danielle, to keep them in the valley with the worms. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, I just wanted to be on board with these decisions. They know their valley better than I do. I'm going to trust them. They know that there's the best way out is to that one place, and the mountains are really far away. And getting there with 12 people in a pickup truck is going to be difficult without running out of gas or whatever it is. Sure. Anyway, so the Argo family is going to come check on them and the camera cuts ominously to that rock slide. Hey, someone came to check on the rock slide. Oh, they're dead too. It's just a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> so another work crew showed up and were immediately eaten. So someone did come check on them, Danielle, but they did not survive. Is the worm just like hanging out like maybe more people will come to my lair? <laughs> it seems to work out. Apparently this worm is just like... Everywhere it needs to be. <laughs> like all serial killers in all movies. Pretty much. He's got to go with it. The same way that Jason is everywhere he needs to be, this world is everywhere it needs to be. So back in the general store, they're arguing about what to do, and Valentine grabs a map and points out there's a pattern. The worms are heading down the valley towards the town, because it draws like a line of all the different attacks, and it draws a line straight towards the well, town. It's going to the humans. Except for the woodworms yeah. that's hanging out with the people who were working on the road. <laughs> well, that could have been done like two days ago. We don't know. Because remember, they spend a whole night out on that boulder. Sure. So they don't have time to wait around for rescue. They got to get out of there. So their best option is to leave and head for the mountains. And as Rhonda points out, the mountains are made of solid granite. 
So they are going to be safe. The worms can't burrow through that. How do they know? The one thing I do believe is Rhonda's a seismologist. She knows what the rocks around the valley are. I agree that she knows that it's like granite, and but she, I don't think she can like realistically say the worms can't burrow through granite. I think that's actually a pretty safe conclusion that things cannot burrow very easily through granite. Like she sees how they move through the sand. What if like, they have they like acid in their mouths or something? Acid doesn't dissolve granite, Danielle. Okay, well, take a what very if they have some kind time. of? There might be aliens. What if they have some kind of alien acid, Sam? <laughs> They don't think they're alien. Everyone is is convinced that they're just, you know, some mega fauna we never knew about. Okay. I'm still saying that, well, it may be true. I'm not sure you could say it with 100% certainty. Well, they know that they can't burrow through the rock because they were on those rocks safely before. Spent all night on that rock. The thing didn't burrow up through the rock and eat them. But maybe it was just a lot of effort and they didn't want to. That actually, I will, okay. I will give you a point for that. That's actually a valid thought. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Danielle. <laughs> But she didn't say, hey, we were on the rocks last time and didn't do anything. <laughs> I don't think they spend like every minute of this movie arguing. Like, they don't sit there and go through all the arguments they all make because that'd be a boring movie, <laughs> Danielle. They just sort of gloss over that so that they can get on with I'm it. I'm just saying, they know very little about these worms and she's just making some wild conclusions in this movie. Uh, I'll be the first one to say that Rhonda says some nonsense. And the fact that like, where do these worms come from? Who knows? Why do they show up now? No idea. Where do they go for the last million years? doesn't matter. How do they survive if they're this big and they only eat like 12 people in, their, you know, in the last three days? None of those questions are answered, Danielle. So this movie needs a lot of things unanswered, but this plan is the one part of this movie that I think is actually well thought out. This is why this movie needed like six home videos after it and a TV show. <laughs> oh, Danielle, I didn't want to bring this up, but if you look at the Wikipedia for Tremors, all the different movies explain the life cycle of the tremors, apparently, uh-huh. or of the of the creatures. And we'll get to this, but there's a lovely diagram on the Wikipedia where it's like a circle, the circle of life for the <laughs> tremor creatures. Uh-huh. So they go from the graboid stage, which is what they're at right now. They get the the the, the people in the general store like are coming banter on what should we call these things? And they're like, oh, graboids, let's call them graboids. <laughs> Sure, so they call not? them graboids. So they go from the graboid stage to the shrieker stage where they're – what's a shrieker? I don't know. That's one of the other Tremors movies called Tremor 4, Shriekers. Where they make noise, whatever. I assume. Yeah. And there's like a little loop that goes right back to Shriekers. And it goes from Shrieker to Ass Blaster. So great, great job, movie. Good good name. <laughs> goes from Ass Blaster to Egg and then Egg to Dirt Dragon and then from Dirt Dragon back to Graboid. So there is some deep lore about how these things work in the so Tremors they had to, like, franchise. Up it every movie, they're like, "What else can we do with these worms?" <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So I'm not saying this movie is in any way explaining things very well, but I guarantee you there is extensive articles people have written on the life cycle of these <laughs> things, and I'm sure they have justified every fact in this movie. Excellent. Okay. So that's just put that out there. I don't know why Rhonda knows so much about the worms, but I do think it does make sense to head for the granite mountains because those are probably safer than the sandy, loose dirt of the valley. Sure, I will give her 100 points for that. Yes, it's All likely right. safer, given the options. <laughs> yeah, so the plan is they want to head for the mountains, but how are they going to get everyone to the mountains? Oh, no. They still have a truck where they could put people in the pickup, right? Yeah, but it's like, I don't know if it has enough gas to get all the way out there, or like, if it can hold everyone in the truck. It's not like a big truck. It's not like a full-size pickup. Well, how one of those... far away are like the most immediate mountains? I think they're like an hour, half an hour drive, something like that. So they're not like right there? No. Okay. They're like, this is the middle of a huge, like, expanse of flat ground in the middle of this valley okay. bowl. Just trying to visualize it. Yeah, and there's also cliffs around. Because remember, Kevin Bacon, beginning of the movie, peeing off a cliff. Yes, I recall. That, that, that's important, Daniel. <laughs> I do recall it. (laughs) 
So they say they should make it way for the mountains, and that's when the mom, Nancy, remembers her daughter is out playing in the street on her pogo stick. <laughs> they just forgot up until now. <laughs> Well, she's like, oh, I should go out and get her because now that she knows that these things hunt by vibrations, oh, shoot, I should get my daughter. Like, they didn't know that it, they thought it was a serial killer, not like evil creatures on the ground until they got back. I'd like to argue that even if it's just a serial killer, you'd probably still want your daughter inside. <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree with that, Danielle, but this is the same argument we had like during Shark Shock. We were like, well, some parents just let their kids wander around. <laughs> but not during there's a serial killer on the loose. <laughs> I think if you went to Florida and there was a serial killer in Florida, your parents would still let you guys wander but around. But, like, not in the town. <laughs> That's all I'm saying, Danielle, is I don't know. If your local town had a serial killer, you probably would not be wandering around as a child. I agree. But, you know, Pogo Stick's got a Pogo Stick. Okay. Well, they go get the daughter, or I hope Well, she, she heads out to go get the daughter. And then suddenly, that annoying kid starts screaming outside. Oh, they got me. They got me. Ha ha, fooled you. They didn't really get me. I just made you all scared. <laughs> What a little punk face. Yeah, so then they all yell at him, and then he goes wander around behind the, the building, the general store. He's bouncing a basketball because he's a moron, and he starts screaming again because he's actually attacked. His basketball is eaten, and he's screaming. Everyone sort of ignores him for a little <laughs> bit. I'm like, oh, please let him beat him. Please let him beat him. <laughs> I was really hoping. <laughs> yeah, but then they all go out and check on him, and they see that he's, you know, shimmied up a light pole for safety, and a giant graboid heaves itself out of the ground at them. They all run inside the general store, and they stand very still and silent to avoid making any vibrations that will attract the thing's attention as it slithers beneath the floorboards looking for them. But the kid is still up the pole? I don't remember exactly <laughs> if he's still up the pole, but I think he gets down like scrambles into like a shed somewhere. Like they kind of split up a little bit okay. and we lose track of a few of them. That's when Pogo Stick Girl comes hopping by outside the front of the general store. They all hear her hopping on her Pogo Stick. <laughs> oh no, Lexi. Yeah, not Lexi. She won't be able to survive long to be in Jurassic Park. Did she die? So the grab bud goes right for her and that's when Kevin Bacon runs out the front door, big old hero knocks her off the pogo stick just before the pogo stick gets eaten <laughs> and he gives the kid mindy to nancy her mother and they go inside their house and hide but now kevin bacon is stuck outside poor pogo stick because he doesn't want to move because the grab is looking for him dun 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 so Valentine then climbs up on top of a truck to avoid the Graboid. That's when another Graboid, <gasps> there's a second one, comes out and chases Rhonda, who came out screaming like, oh no, Valentine. And Rhonda runs for it. Did she do it on purpose? She thought the one that was going for Kevin Bacon was like the only one nearby. Right. I was wondering if she's trying to distract the worm or if she just- No, no. She was just outside because she's like, what's going on? We got to save Mindy. <laughs> The little kid. And just like, she's a gawker. And that's when the second one shows up and chases Rhonda. And then Rhonda runs away, but she gets tangled up in some barbed wire that's just laying around the ground. Because <laughs> whatever, barbed wire. And so she's all tangled up in the barbed wire. And the grab boy starts dragging it towards her. So Melvin, the punk kid, sees this. He peeks out of the little chef that he's hiding and just immediately closes the door. Like, no, nope, I'm not dealing with that. So <laughs> screw him. <laughs> Does Rhonda get eaten? So luckily, Valentine comes out with a pickaxe and just slams a pickaxe as he jumps off the truck and slams it into the Graboid's face. And the Graboid gets distracted long enough for Valentine to get Rhonda's pants off so she can get free of the barbed wire. <laughs> Clearly, this was just an excuse to get the pants off of Rhonda. <laughs> yeah. So then Valentine and Rhonda make a break for the general store. They're running across like those little plank sidewalks you see like Western movies. And she's just in her underwear running around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they're running, and, like, the planks behind them are, are heaving up like a wave as the creature is, like, coming at them. That's actually a pretty cool little scene. Yeah, that's cool. And so they run through it, and they eventually dive into the general store just as the creature rushes past them. Woof. But, they made it. But didn't notice that it jumped into the general store? Apparently it didn't. It was all full steam ahead. It, it can't turn that quickly, apparently. <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> 
So now we cut to Kevin Bacon, Valentine, tending to the cuts on the pantsless Rhonda's legs <laughs> while their eyes meet and Earl kind of looks at them knowingly. Does he wink again? Kind of. <laughs> Luckily, there are spare pants in the general store, so Rhonda gets new pants and everyone is back to where they were a few minutes ago. And fully pantsed. And fully pantsed. So that was just an unnecessary de-pantsing. <laughs> unnecessary de-pantsing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a band name. <laughs> <laughs> Unnecessary deep pants. You're here to rock. Get your pants off. It's like it's like uh, the safety dance. Exactly. <laughs> so they're in the general store. They're hiding out. They're all trying not to make any noise and be very quiet so they can avoid attracting the attention of the graboid. And suddenly a refrigerated soda cooler goes off. It has this really noisy compressor. It's clearly just attracting all kinds of attention. Yeah, of course. And so they all jump on top of it to like unplug it. But oh no, it's too late. A giant graboid lunges through the floor of the building, gets his tentacle hooks into the general store owner and drags him under and eats him. Not Vincent. Victor. I don't remember his, I don't name. Know his name either. It's fine. <laughs> I had it written down because like, oh, that's important. But I don't think his name's ever mentioned more than once in the movie. I think so, it started with uh, a V. It did. I cooked it up, but uh, I don't want to. <laughs> Not poor Vincent Victor. Ugh, now you're going to make me look it up. It is. You don't have to look it up. All right. Well, you know what, listeners? Whoever listened to this episode, you can listen back and then email us, Twitter us the answer to the question that we have at this very moment. <laughs> It's vitally important we need to know what the man's name is. It just got eaten by the graboid. Very, very unceremoniously. I think it was Victor, but I'm okay. 100% guessing. It could have been. I do believe it started with a V, but none of this matters. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> this is all completely irrelevant because they all sort of scramble to get out of there. Rhonda climbs up uh, on some shelves and Earl and Valentine and one of the other townspeople try to scramble up through a skylight onto the roof because clearly the floor is being torn up by the graboid. The floor is lava. Basically. But while Rhonda's climbing on the shelves, the shelves get knocked over and they get like a domino effect and the last shelf gets knocked over and pitches her out the window of the general store oh, into no. the open. Oh no, indeed. <laughs> Valentine and Earl and the other townsperson scramble up onto the roof and they look around like, where is Rhonda? But luckily, they see that Rhonda had climbed up onto a water tower just outside the general store. So she's, for the moment, safe. Excellent. I was worried. And the rest of the townspeople are holed up in their various houses. So from the roof, Melvin the Brat yells at them, Hey, what are you doing? Why are you up on the roof? And he like, pokes his head out of the shed and they tell him, like, Be quiet! Get on the roof! And he's like, No way! He's <laughs> the dumbest kid. I've never wanted a child to be eaten more. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, his little shed is attacked, and he scrambles up onto the roof and, and lays there for a bit. And they yell at the other townspeople, hey, everyone, get up on the roof. Since they come through the floors, you'll be safer up there. Since they can't see you up on the roof, the vibrations won't travel as far or something. How come the worms didn't just start in the town? That's where all the people were. Good question, Danielle. <laughs> Maybe they spawned somewhere else, like their, their hatching grounds were far away. And then they had to travel into town, just killed the people yeah. along the way. It's like a grocery store trip. Sure. It's like a grocery store trip where you eat all the snacks. When you gotta stop like a fast food joint to get a little snack on the way, and you head to the grocery store. You don't shop all hungry, Danny. You know not to shop all hungry. No, it's like you went to the grocery store and you're pulling the snack bags off of the, the shelves and then you're eating them as you walk through the rest of the store. And then you just pay for them at the end. <laughs> no, the town is the grocery store, Danielle. To get there is a trip to the grocery store. Sure. No little nibbles along the way. I was thinking it's more like the checkout area. <laughs> why, why would we, you don't, no, the food isn't in the checkout area. The food is everywhere else. <laughs> that's where all, that's that's where all of your impulse buys are. <laughs> There's, what, there's not impulse Both buy. Both metaphors work, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but the worms are not impulse buying, <laughs> eating people. 
no, just stop. It doesn't make any sense. We're moving on. Your metaphor is falling apart. <laughs> so we cut to the preppers. They're driving their truck up to their town. The license plate says Uzi number four letter U, which is cute. And they pull up to their bunker. They're dejected. They didn't find anything. No creatures. Not a single trace of them. They're all like, ah, oh, we want to murder things. Oh, poor guys. The wife Lester, looks out the town. It's like, huh, that's weird because you have some binoculars and like everyone's up on their roofs. And he's like, that's, that's weird, but whatever. <laughs> They're not concerned about it at all. Well, they go down into their basement and the husband, Bert, calls on the CB radio to the other CB radio that's in the general store. Like, hey, what's going on? Get in, pick up. What's going on? And Valentine picks up the CB radio and he's like, hey, quiet. I thought they were all like on top of roofs. Well, he like is dangled down by his legs by the other people and he like oh, okay. manages to reach in through the window and grab it. So Bert the prepper is chatting with Valentine. He's trying to explain what's happening. He's like, you got to get on the roof. You can't stay down there in the basement. It's not safe. What are the walls made out of? It's made for like a bomb. Cinder block. Cinder block. Can I eat the cinder block? We'll see, Danielle. But while he's doing that, his wife is doing something I don't quite understand. It looks like she's polishing bullets. Uh-huh. Like there's this big machine, like a bowl filled with sand or sawdust on top of like a vibrating base. And she puts some bullets in there with the sand and sawdust and like turns it on. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough about guns to know what she's doing, but apparently it's a lot of vibrating and it's very important for the bullets. And that immediately grabs the attention of the grab boys and, they, and the people in the town see the grab boys heading for the bunker for the basement of Bert and his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. So Valentine tells them to get on the roof. Get out of your basement. We'll talk later. Instead of just telling them what's happening. Obviously Bert's like, what? What are you talking about? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Not the smartest. And luckily, his wife's like, listen to him. We should get up there. And Valentine's like, no, they're underground. They're coming for you. They're underground. And then Bert and his wife just sort of grab their guns and look out the windows of their basement. And they don't see anything. Like, we don't see anything. He's like, no, they're underground. You can't see them. Get out of there. I thought they heard about the sandworms earlier. They didn't. Bert and his wife were out looking for Rhonda. Uh, Remember? they Timeline is very confusing. <laughs> They went to look for Rhonda. I know. I just thought they were there for the reveal of the sandworms earlier, but... When Rhonda, Earl, and Valentine get back to the general store, they're told that the preppers are still missing. Right. I knew they were still missing. I just thought they'd gone out to look for sandworms. I missed something. Well, you you only have paying attention anyway. (laughs) I was paying attention. I couldn't have this many questions if I wasn't paying attention. I mean, you might argue that you have more questions if you weren't paying attention because maybe some of the things I said answered your questions. But they did not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true for some of them. That's fair. It's all a lie. I'm paying attention, everybody. (laughs) The questions don't really have answers. That's not my fault. That's the movie's fault. I can't agree with that. So the basement, the whole basement starts shaking and one of the monsters is like rams through the cinder blocks and is like sticking its head through there and the preppers are just open fire. They start blasting this thing with these massive arsenal of guns. Like there's this whole wall just filled with guns and they just like shoot it and they drop a gun, pick up another one, shoot it, drop a gun, pick up another one. But Bert is grabbed by the thing's tentacles. Thankfully his wife blasts the tentacle off with a shotgun and they lay into the animal with a variety of weapons. The wife at one point just pulls out dual revolvers and a flare gun at another point and start shooting it. So it's really just a whole grab bag of random weapons. So this thing got killed as soon as it ran into a concrete wall, but this many weapons has not yet managed to kill it. Well, the other one got killed running into a wall at full blast. This one has not been killed yet. But finally, Bert grabs a big shotgun with like deer slugs. Apparently it's an elephant gun mm-hmm. and manages to kill the thing by blasting it. Now they know so it apparently, works, I guess. prepping pays off. <laughs> That's what we learn. <laughs> That's what this movie teaches us. And Bert lets off the, uh, you broke into the wrong rec room quip, <laughs> which is fun. So they call back Valentine and they're like, hey, we did it. We killed the thing. And Valentine's like, great. There are two more. So maybe don't celebrate too much. Maybe more. We're not really <laughs> sure. We're going off the word of a seismologist. <laughs> no, no, it's absolutely two. They're 100% sure it's only two more. <laughs> 
But everyone is still like, hey, they killed one. Maybe we can kill the rest of them. And so Bert and his wife, they get on the roof with all their guns. And there's a, there's a grab slithering around their house. And Bert tries to shoot it with the elephant gun. But it's like, oh, can't get any penetration through the dirt. So while it's underground, it's invulnerable. Sure. Why not? And that is probably true. You're not going to get a bullet to pass very far through solid dirt. Absolutely. Keeps them convinced. <laughs> I don't know. Is there a Mythbusters episode on that? <laughs> no. I think it's a little late for Mythbusters to do Tremors. <laughs> Not when, like, could have done it before. You don't know that. That's true. But anyway, so here's one Earl suggests that the preppers should make a break from the mountains to get help in their truck, since they have the only truck which can make it up the mountain pass, because it's a big, steep pass, it's not paved, and they're the only one with a four-wheeled Jeep that can make it up there. I do not understand why all these... <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> Everyone else is like, pickup trucks that can't make it up the pass. I don't know. But that's the facts. These people are not very well suited to live in this rural area, apparently. <laughs> Just... Living in a rural area, <laughs> like, I don't believe it. Believe it, Danielle. Those worms, they planned ahead. Maybe they ate all the trucks. I don't know. But as they're discussing this plan, one of the graboids starts to investigate the general store, like, putting out his tentacles and, like, feeling around the foundation. And then it shoves up on the foundation, trying to knock the people off it. So clearly, the graboids, they're learning. They're figuring out <laughs> they're ways to bring the buildings down. The robots are getting smarter. Danielle, they're worms, not robots, please. You don't know that. I, I do know that. <laughs> I had Rhonda tell me that. I trust Rhonda implicitly for all these things. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot. Rhonda knows everything. She does. So the Graboid goes around testing every house, giving it a little shake to see which ones are collapsible, I guess. And it comes across a trailer. One of the other townspeople is hunkered down top of this trailer and it knocks the trailer down. And the guy falls off and gets eaten right away. Aww. Boom. Gone. Poor Ned. We hardly knew him. Yep. He's gone. And so now they have a different plan. It's going to get everyone out because they don't have time to sit around and wait for the Graboids to tear all the buildings down and eat them all. Of course not. But then the Graboids, they eat the prepper's truck. Uh-oh. <laughs> so now they're stuck. These worms, man. They're like very planned. <laughs> this is the point where I'm like, not only are these worms super coordinated and smart, they're also super focused. Like, they are hell-bent on eating these human beings and don't seem to care about maybe the horses that ran off earlier or other sheep or cows that are around the valley. they just like, we want these people and we're obsessively going to get them. And they seem to understand exactly how humans work because they're taking out, like, cars and generators. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lines. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like that car that they took out just now, it wasn't like it was running and vibrating. They're like, no, I should eat that car. <laughs> They've been watching the humans for quite a while now, and they understand how they work. <laughs> and which is even more remarkable because they can't see the humans up on the roof. That's the whole point. So they assume they're still up there, and they're like, let's see if we can knock them off. Very smart. I mean, these graboids, wild man. <laughs> So now with that truck gone, they come up with a backup plan. There's an idea that they want to drag a semi-trailer, like this big steel semi-trailer, out behind a bulldozer to get everyone out. Because the bulldozer is like 30 tons. There's no way the grab boys going to be able to stop that thing. It's like a tank. So they'll put everyone in the trailer. They'll, they'll load up the bulldozer. They'll drive that thing up into the mountains where they'll be safe. So that is a plan. But the problem is, how do they get to the bulldozer, which is parked, you know, across the town, across open ground that's going to be eaten immediately if they jump down from the roof? Right. So Rhonda suggests a decoy. There's a small tractor, looks kind of like a riding mower, that they can set off, like they'll rig it up, set it going, they'll vibrate and be a distraction. And while it's doing that, Earl and Valentine argue about who's going to go, and Earl wins, and then Earl will go and run and get the bulldozer. So, that's the plan. So one of the townspeople starts the tractor going, sends it off on its way, it's working, the graboids chase after it. And then just when Earl's about to run for the bulldozer, Valentine knocks him out of the way and runs out there. Gotta be a big old hero. <laughs> oh, Valentine. Yeah. He's like, you're not the protagonist of this script. Move. Well, he's one of the protagonists. 
But it's Kevin Bacon, Sam. Yeah, well, he is the real hero, of course. <laughs> That's who we're really here for. So as Valentine is running, the decoy tractor trips over. Uh-oh, distraction over. Uh-oh, run, Valentine. No, he freezes in place because the Graboid is coming right at him, and the Graboid can't find him if he's standing still. Except that we just learned earlier that it went after the houses that weren't moving at all. Look, Danielle, <laughs> it knew the houses were there from earlier when it felt the vibrations through the floor. I don't know. <laughs> But the Graboid pokes his head out, the tentacles slither out there looking for him. He knows it's there, just can't find him exactly. So that's when Rhonda and all the rest of the town people start making noise. They start throwing things on the ground to get the attention of the Graboid. And it works. And it's distracted just long enough for Valentine to reach the bulldozer. Hooray! But now the thing is focused on Rhonda in the water tower. Boom. How does it know it's in the water tower? Because Rhonda's been making noise and she like knocks over the pipe from the water tower. So the water starts pouring out into the ground, like making a big old distraction. You think that the... I mean, it probably, like, would come up because it hears the vibration, but you think it'd be pretty, like, overwhelmed by the fact that there's a lot of vibrations going on with that water. It's not like a torrent. It's just, like, the little pipe is pouring it out. There's, like, going splash, 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 splash. Okay. Anyway, so Valentine revs up the bulldozer. Will he get back in time? Yeah, he does. <laughs> it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't attack the water tower. He just drives by, and she jumps off into the cab. Yeah, Rhonda's the first one he gets. Yay. So everyone jumps into the back of the tractor trailer thing that's hooked up to the bulldozer. It's a big old success. They're all moving. The Graboids try to grab onto the treads of the bulldozer, but they can't because they're solid metal, and they just get crushed by it. And so it looks like they're going to make it. Didn't they... Okay, I mean, I didn't watch, I obviously have not seen it, so I don't know how this visually works, but didn't it just kind of like suck the cars and the generators down? Can't it just create a hole so that it like tips? Well, we'll get to that. It would need a very big hole and they're also driving it. So those things were all stationary when it did that. I suppose. Okay. Continue on. So as they're driving off, they swing around to go pick up the preppers from the roof of their house and the preppers are up there making pipe bombs because that's what they do. <laughs> And they're taking their sweet time, like, oh, we'll take this gun, we'll take that gun. They're like, everyone's like, come on, let's go. They're like, Graboids are like trying to dig around the tractor while they're parked there to suck it down. They have to drive forward a little bit to get out of the hole they're trying to dig. Like, come on, we got to go. They're going to dig us under. So yes, that's what they're trying to do. I'm glad that actually answered my question. Thank you. Yeah. So they finally get the preppers in and they drive off and the trip seems to be going just swimmingly as they drive off into the sunset. The end. No. <laughs> <laughs> So they get near the mountains, and they see, like, a puff of dirt up in the distance. They're like, oh, we don't care what that is. As long as they're not near us, they can mess around over there. Are there more of them? There's just the three so far. Well, I guess two left now. And a little while later, the bulldozer hits a sinkhole and crashes. It was a trap dug by the worms. <laughs> it was a trap. They knew where people were going to go, and so they dug out this trench underneath the ground, like a sinkhole, and the tractor drove right into How it. How did they know where they were going to go? Because they're the smartest freaking worms on the planet, Danielle. <laughs> This plot is wild. Uh-huh. So they start shooting and they manage to fend off the Graboids. One of the, the preppers throws a pipe bomb and the Graboids scatter from the pipe bomb. And Rhonda concludes that they're scattering because the pipe bomb makes this big explosion, which makes a lot of vibrations, which is like yelling very loud. It's like a very loud sound that sort of drives them away. It's overwhelmed as their senses. Mm -hmm. And so she says, okay, you got to throw that pipe bomb in the direction of those rocks. So it'll go off. And while the Graboids are repelled by, we'll have to run to those rocks. Sure. And so they do that and they barely make it. Success, but now they're once again besieged on some rocks. <laughs> well, it's better than being besieged on the land. Well, they wouldn't be besieged on the land, they'd be eaten. Right. <laughs> That's what I meant. I mean, obviously they'd be besieged and then eaten. They'd still be besieged first. <laughs> How'd they be besieged? They'd just be eaten. It's like they're like, oh, we're trapped on the land. <laughs> Depends on where they were. Well, earlier okay, they were on Dana. rooftops. <laughs> They're besieged on rooftops, Danielle, not on the ground. <laughs> That's just being very specific, Sam. <laughs> yes, right. That's my problem. I'm being t 
too specific for us in this episode. <laughs> okay, they're stuck on rocks. <laughs> they're stuck on rocks, Danielle. That's the important thing. They're besieged on these rocks. There's some argument about like you know, the perch, like, how dare you? I could have held out on the roofs. So I could have shot them some more. Instead, you got us all trapped on these rocks and we're all going to die. There was food and water back in my bunker. And they're like, eh, but it doesn't really go anywhere. That argument sort of just peters out immediately. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. I appreciate that. You're welcome. So a little while later, Earl has the idea to go fishing. What they do is they throw a bunch of rocks to get the grab attention. They throw one of the pipe bombs out there attached to a rope and they drag the the pipe bomb around the ground to get the grab attention so it'll eat it. And then when the pipe bomb goes off, the grab explodes. I definitely thought you meant fishing for real for a second and I was trying to figure out how they read your water source. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it means graboid fishing. I got, I got it briefly after that. <laughs> so... They do this, it works, one of the graboids eats a pipe bomb and explodes in a shower of hot goo. So, mm. hey, one down, one to go. They do the same thing with the other one? Of course not. So they try again, they throw some more rocks out there, the last graboid is playing coy, but they throw the pipe bomb out there and it eats the pipe bomb, and they're all like, yes. And then suddenly, patooey, it spits out the pipe bomb, it lands right back on the rock in the middle of all the other pipe bombs where they've been thrown from by Valentine. No, no. <laughs> So Valentine, Earl, you know, get the heck out of there. The pipe bombs explode. But now Valentine, Rhonda, and Earl, when they scatter from all the pipe bombs blowing up, are stranded out in the open. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So they're not moving. Everyone else is like trying to make noise, trying to get the grab boy to leave them alone. It seems to work, but Valentine is not buying it. He thinks this grab boy is too smart. It's It's playing us. It's trying to make us move so it knows where we are so it can eat us. It's trying to trick us. That's why it's the last one. Yeah. And it says one last pipe bomb that Valentine managed to hold on to. And I was like, just throw the pipe bomb. It'll distract it. It'll drive it off long enough for us to get to the rock. But then he's like, then we're trapped on the rock and we're in no better position than we were before. We've got to have another plan. But they still have the guns too? Or did they lose those along the way? They have like a couple of them, but most of them were went down when the tractor thing crashed. Okay. So Valentine just takes off running. And then Rhonda and Earl run off with them. Because what else are they going to do? And he runs straight for a cliff. And when he gets to the cliff, he posts up. He cuts the fuse on the pipe bomb. He lights it with the lighter that Rhonda was holding and throws it behind the graboid. It explodes. Oh, no. He missed it. Uh-oh. So Earl and Rhonda dive out of the way. Valentine waits. He waits. The creature is coming right for him. He dives out of the way just at the last second. And the creature goes through the cliff, flies out. And then plummets to its explosive death where it splatters on the ground like an overstuffed balloon. So it it explodes when on impact. Like it, it pops. It like gets smashed because it like slams in the ground a bunch of sharp rocks. <laughs> gross. Like a water balloon. Yeah. It's gross. And they're, they're good, right? That was that's four? It. That's the last one. Everyone's like, all right, that's number four. We're totally safe. We can come down and just walk around like nothing happened. Did they all die? That'd be a pretty funny ending to the movie. It would be. But safe, they make it back to town where Valentine and Earl make plans to get to the city and make some calls, maybe get into National Geographic. They're all, this is like several days later, they're packing up to leave again. And Rhonda comes by to say goodbye. How did they get out of the valley? They, they drove, they didn't get back to the valley. No, they, but they how, drove. they're still, it's still blocked by the rocks, right? Um... Good question. Don't have an answer for that. <laughs> okay. Maybe I'll use the bulldozer to push the rocks out of the way. Yes, perhaps. They could have done that originally, though. Well, I um, guess the maybe. worms might have eaten them while they tried. Yeah, that's my guess. It would take some effort, and I doubt they had the worms be like, oh, yeah, just go ahead and do that. We'll wait patiently. <laughs> So, Rhonda comes by to say goodbye. She's, just, she's excited to be part of this new research into the creatures. I'm like, wait a minute. You're the seismologist. Why is this your research to do? I mean, yeah, you're the first person to find them, but you're not a biologist. <laughs> Maybe she's giving them some seismology records. Sure. Either way, again, the movie treats her as like, one scientist is the same thing as every other scientist, and I'm not here for that. <laughs> so... 
Rhonda and Valentine, they have an awkward goodbye. Earl rolls his eyes at Valentine. He's like, I, I know, I'm working up to it. And then Valentine leaves to go after Rhonda. He's like, hey, and they make out a bit. The end. <laughs> Yay! And yet somehow there are more worms. I mean, this is what I said. Like, if I was in this town, I would not be confident there weren't more worms out there. I'd be like, okay, we got rid of them. Let's get out of here quickly before more come. Yeah, I would definitely be moving. (laughs) So... I mean, this movie is a lot of fun. It's pretty much your standard monster movie, but the assumptions the characters make about these worms and the graboids are wild. They, like, immediately understand their entire physiology and immediately know how many of them there are, even though that seems like it'd be the least confident you would ever be about that. I'm super curious how there are several more after this, because clearly either there are other colonies of worms or this one didn't really die. Yeah, I have no idea, Danielle. There's a whole life cycle that gets explained. There's a prequel that explains how the worms came to the valley. All your questions may be answered in that one, Danielle. (laughs) Tempted to watch all seven videos and 13 episodes of this TV show. (laughs) It's a half season, Danielle, so you know they're definitely going to end it well. (laughs) Very tempted. (laughs) Look, if you want to get into Tremors, there's a whole panoply of options. You'll be deep in that rabbit hole. Excellent. But yeah, there's Tremors, a fun movie with Kevin Bacon that... It's worth a watch. It sounds like it. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> this movie's pretty funny. There's a lot of really good lines and jokes in the movie. I may actually watch this, much like I watched Highlander 1. <laughs> I know. Well, sometimes these movies are good, Danielle. Definitely weird, but it was fun. I recommend it. If you're in the mood for just a fun little monster romp with Kevin Bacon and his, and his cowboy accent. I mean, aren't we always in the mood for a little monster romp with Kevin Bacon and his cowboy accent? There should be more of those, I agree. It's a pity he didn't come back for Graboid 7, whatever, Tremors, the search for more Graboids. <laughs> the actual title, everybody. Look uh, it up. Look, there's, they're still making Graboid movies with or Tremors movies in 2020. Maybe there's one plan for 2022 with Kevin Bacon. We can only hope. It'll happen. Eventually, yeah. Kevin Bacon will want to go back to his roots. As Valentine McKee. <laughs> McKee, that was it. Yeah. That was close. No. <laughs> I said Valentine McCree. Okay, I don't remember what I said, but it was very close to that. <laughs> All right, it was, it was closer than you normally are. I'll give you that. And I almost remembered the, the guy's name you said once. Well, maybe our listeners can finally tell us what that answer is, because <laughs> I'm still not going to look that up. <laughs> That's your laziness level. Yeah, it's pretty high up there. <laughs> it's in my notes, but I'm not going to look it up. Oh, man. But. Speaking of, I think our next episode is going to be an extra special one. It so is. So everyone should definitely come back for that. I'm not going to spoil it. Just tell you there's going to be some extra special stuff next episode. So you definitely don't want to miss that. Agreed. And if you want to find out more about us or you have any of the answers to the many questions we have about the Graboid life cycle. I had so many questions, everybody. So many. You so heard many. them. You heard all her questions. <laughs> I still, Please answer them. still have so many questions. If you have watched Trevor's 2 through Seven. I don't know how many were there. There were, <laughs> we were six lost. movies, one TV series, half a TV series. If you've watched the 19 things about Tremors, if you could please <laughs> let us know. <laughs> yes, give us your Tremors treatise. That's hard to say. <laughs> Our Tremors treatise, you can, you can do that um, on Facebook or Instagram or uh, where else are we on? Twitter. You can't you actually go. do that on Twitter because there's not enough characters on You can Twitter. link to your treatise. It's fine. <laughs> you can do that at Book Retorts. Or through our website at bookretorts.com. But until our very special episode next time, bye. Take care, everybody.
what was the tagline for Tremors? Let me look this up because I bet it has a great tagline. Ah, all right, here we go. Tremors, they say there's nothing new under the sun, but under the ground, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> That's a winner. <laughs> People come up with these things. I don't know, but I want that job. That You'd be like good fun? at that job, actually. Yeah, it does like a really fun job to come up with like really cheesy tagline. Yeah, you'd be really good at that. Oh, thank you, Daniel. You're welcome. You should totally. Hollywood, are you listening? <laughs> Contact me. <laughs> At bookretorch.com or Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at bookretorch. You really should. You, you could do worse, everybody, in Hollywood. <laughs> I, thanks.